Welcome to Getting Work to Work, a weekly podcast exploring the world of work and how creative entrepreneurs, storytellers, and rule breakers infuse their daily lives with creativity and curiosity. You know you're in for a powerful conversation when the person describes themselves as a Katamari ball of learning on a journey to build a creative life by creating cool things, building relationships, and helping people. Rob Garrett has been in the world of motion design and education for much of his career. After leaving a job as a content manager for LinkedIn Learning, he set out to learn character animation and how to infuse emotion into motion. Our conversation begins with us sharing who taught us how to swear, before talking about blogging as a form of therapy, learning how to break free from systems, and returning to his creative self. We talk about identity and the stories we tell ourselves, the difference between learning on the job and studying a subject, being creative on purpose, and why he prefers not to return to a previous version of himself. Show notes for this episode can be found at gwtw.co slash 756. While you're there, you'll also find the entire podcast archive, links to the documentary series and weekly newsletter, and the latest merch to show your love and support. And uh, just so you know, you can be 100% yourself. Like, I don't care whether you swear or not, just be yourself. Um, I'm I'm kind of a chameleon in that way. Like when people are more sweary, I'll be more sweary, and I kind of mod, like mold with them. But other times, it's just like if it's chill, cool, then I'll be chill. I'm I'm good either way. You know, having spent so much time in the corporate world, uh, I'm used to to dialing it back, and so I, I'm like you. I, I tend to be a chameleon as well. Yeah. I I mostly. It's funny when I was when I was a kid and I was first learning how to swear, I would swear. <laughs> like constantly you know and it's one of those things like the more you use it mm-hmm. like it, the less meaning it has right and so yeah. now that i find as i've as i've as i've gotten older um you know like the yeah the um for the folks at home rob put a a pompous hand upon his chest and spoke in the third person looking at the ceiling um the uh <laughs> you know as as i have gotten older though i've come to realize like you know, if you uh, withhold it and then dose it out sparingly, it has a lot more impact. Like it, mm-hmm. at home, I, I I don't swear it. You know, I, when when my son was younger, like I would never I would never swear at home. But when I did, er, like everything stopped <laughs> because like everybody knew that dad was pissed off. You know, and so so like it had an impact. It, it served the purpose to get everybody's attention. And so that's what I would I would I you know. Like I said, had that happened to coincide with, you know, uh, me kind of, you know, getting into a more prominent role from a corporate standpoint. But um, so it actually helped in that regard, too, for not not ending up in HR. <laughs> right. OK, so I love this idea that you just said of when I was younger and learning how to swear. I mean, <laughs> that right there is fucking brilliant because I'm like wait, who taught us how to swear? So who taught you how to swear? And then I'll share who taught me how to swear. So, um, Richard Pryor. Naturally. Um, Natural. You know, and yeah, that was like the, the first time, you know, he kind of taught everybody how to swear when you think about it. Like, you know, he was probably the, the, the vanguard, like now, now all comedians swear. Right. And, but Mm -hmm. he really was the first person to like take the, the uh, the lid off of Pandora's sweary box, right? And and um, <laughs> and now it's now every you know now it's just it's tried. It's actually more interesting when you don't swear now. Mm-hmm. But when I was a kid, like hearing Richard Pryor for the first time, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, and then yeah, it kind of just all went loose from there. So wait, so who taught you how to swear? I I was really like a huge Metallica fan as a young kid. <laughs> and so whenever I heard like live albums, like James yeah, yeah, Hetfield, yeah, yeah. the the lead, he like could use I think 
I think he could use fuck in like every possible imaginable way. And I thought that's what I want to be able to do. I want to be able to use it as a verb, a noun, an adverb, an adjective, everything. And in front of 50,000 people. (laughs) Well, in front of everyone in my high school, I'm in a, I think I tried like writing things on my hand and I got in trouble for that. And just like, (laughs) there was just random things that I did like that as a kid because I wanted to be cool like him. Yeah, that's, uh, and I'm not. Rock stars tend not to be good role models. (laughs) Well, fortunately, the sex, drugs, and rock and roll, I only picked rock and roll, not the sex and the drugs. So. (laughs) Yeah, not by choice. <laughs> like, I would have gladly chosen those, but it just wasn't. I wasn't yeah. nearly cool enough. I, I'm a I, nerd then, nerd now. You know. Yeah. What can you do? <laughs> well, Rob, in the spirit of your blog, I'm going to call this episode "The Awesome Power of Conversation." And I just realized that almost every question that I wrote down for you that I sent to you was like, I love this. I love that. But I really do love that you start every post on your blog with the awesome power of dot, dot, dot. And I think it just primes me for what you have to offer. And it really, it gets me ready to ha- to hear what you have to say. So thank you for that. <laughs> I appreciate you taking the time to read it. I started the blog as a... um really as a means of therapy for myself. Mm. I had a really, um, the very first article I wrote um, uh, was uh, some bad shit went down at work. And I just, I had no way to express myself. I wasn't seeing a therapist back then. And I didn't have anybody to talk to about. My wife, you know, didn't work in the corporate world. So she didn't understand. And all my friends worked at at lynda.com and I couldn't, talk to them about it because it was shit had happened there. And, and so I was like, okay, I'm going to write about this without writing about it and just get it off, get it off my chest. And that kind of started the, the, um, the ball rolling for me from a writing side. I, I didn't, I came to writing relatively late in life, you know, actually very late in life in that regard. I used to hate writing when I was a kid. Now I love it. What made the difference for you to go from hate to love? Uh, writing about things that I was, that I cared about, you know, when I, that first article that I wrote was about something that had deeply affected me. And, um, that was, um, you know, I, I think I was always, you know, a pretty decent writer. I just didn't enjoy doing it because people were telling me what to, that's, that's the the fucked up thing about school, right? Is like, you don't get to do the things you want to do. Someone says, write, you know, 25 pages about some boring ass subject that, that no one's ever going to read again. Like, (laughs) right. But if you, but if they would let kids write about things that they're like, if some, you know, if you, if someone had told you to write a, a, a 10 page paper about how the F word is used by the lead singer of Metallica, you'd have been like all over that. Right. But nobody ever had a kid to write that. That's a shame too. It is. <laughs> Instead of it, banning it, 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 have people an- analyze it. <laughs> hmm. Exactly. It would be so much better. And, and I, honestly, the, the kid would learn so much more about writing than, mm-hmm. you know, writing a, some dry ass term paper about, again, things that aren't nearly as important as, yeah. as we, you know, the school system tends to make them out to be. Sorry, teachers, I apologize. It's not your fault, teachers, mostly. Yes, no, <laughs> no, it's not. Actually, they are <laughs> locked into a system. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, locked into a system. You know, it's, it's funny. The, um, one of the themes in my blog has been me kind of breaking out of a system and, and getting back to, you know, trying to get back to who I was. Uh, I, I think I've, you know, I've always been a creative person, but, uh, I put a lot of that aside, uh, about now it's been about 13 years uh, ago when I went to work at lynda.com. I didn't think I was putting it aside. Um, mm-hmm. lynda.com was a wonderfully creative place, um, filled with amazing people. Linda and Bruce, um, who started the company, uh, are just wonderful people. And they created something super special that, you know, all things change and they mm-hmm. grow and they change. It was so special that it got bought by a giant corporation and turned into something that was still kind of special. And, but again, changing and, and I think, you know, that, you know, me getting subsumed by that system was kind of one of the 
that's probably the reason that I that I'm where I am today was the the realizing that I had been subsumed into a system and breaking out of that system to figure out myself again. Yeah. 13 years is a long journey too. It's yeah. a long time. Uh, yeah, it really was a long time. It was ama- you know, there's a lot of amazing like you know, it's funny when I um when I get back uh uh when I get when I think back to the to that stuff it would be easy to become bitter about that at that time there. And it's not, I like, I have so many good friends that I made at that place. And, um, so many, my life changed for the better in so many ways, but I lost a core component of myself and it took me a long time to really figure out what that core component was. A lot of self discovery and, and, and quite frankly, therapy as well, mm-hmm. um, to figure out like why, you know, there's one of my uh, blog posts there, I I talk about that. Like one of the the questions I had kept asking myself was like, why that? I have it so good. Why am I so angry all the time? Because mm. I'm not an angry person, and yet I was angry all the time. Like, and it was just like it just made no sense. And so, mm-hmm. part of the the journey that I've been on was me trying to figure out why the hell I was so angry and how I could change that and get back to not being so angry all the time. Wow. That's not a that's not a light subject to figure out quickly. <laughs> no, no, it was I mean, that takes some time. <laughs> no, and you know, and it, it like I think for a lot of like like a lot of people, the the kickoff to that journey was 2020. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't. You know, I I had been angry for a long time leading up to 2020, but that was the the straw that you know broke so many camels' backs. Which is look, that's a horrible saying, but it really was that was the final straw. And I just, I needed to talk to somebody about that because I, I just couldn't process that shit anymore. And so mm-hmm. as awful as that year was, it put me on the path to where I am today because I couldn't, I, I, I couldn't have broken out of that psychology, the stories that I'd been telling myself about, you know, I'm that guy who works at that place who does that thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was, you know, it took a lot to break that story. Yeah. And we're all locked into some form of that story, whether you work for yourself or a giant multinational conglomerate corporation who fits you into their system. I mean, it it doesn't matter your part. You're going to wrestle with that. Yeah. 100, 100%. All all of us have that. And and creative people, their story is very, um, I would, I don't want to say, yeah, you know, I, I think I will. I'm just going to say it. I'm going to, I'm slicing the air for creative people. It is particularly self-inflicted, right? Um, mm-hmm. We pour, unlike an accountant or, um, <laughs> uh, or even a, you know, maybe for a salesperson, it might be the same um, or pro athletes. I, it probably is the same uh, as a creative person, but we put so much of ourselves, our, in, our entire being into the thing that we do that, uh, the stories that we tell ourselves about that thing that we do are just, they are, they are just wrapped around us so tight that it can be impossible to, to break that narrative. And I think, uh, you know, for me personally, I had taken that creative mentality into my corporate life and then wrapped myself in that, the story of me being that guy who worked at that place. You know, I just wrapped myself so tightly in that story that I couldn't, I couldn't see it anymore. So without quitting your job, <laughs> I mean, you quit Man, your job, but I you totally know, did. some people didn't and can't or won't. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. yet de- deconstructing that narrative or that identity piece is crucial to not only success, but I think ultimately happiness. Yes. I, I think that, you know, for, for my situation, it, it quitting my job was a, a relatively easy thing to do. I, you know, I had enough money in the bank to get me through a, a, a quite a long period of, of downtime while I transitioned out of things. I was in a place from a family standpoint where, you know, things are amazing at home, you know, except for me being unhappy all the time and inflicting that unhappiness on the people that I love. And so for me, quitting the job was a really necessary thing, but it was also relatively easy. A lot of people are not in that situation um, where they can do it, but they can take steps to to go on this same kind of journey. It starts with asking the question of yourself, you know, what is it that brings me joy? And 
is the, the thing that I'm doing every day a part of that joyful component or not? And then the follow-on question to that is, can I live with that? Mm. For me, it turns out that I'm really fucking good at, at meetings and email and spreadsheets. <laughs> but they don't bring me joy. Like the, the, yeah. the part of the process. So for context, the job that I had at, at Linda and then LinkedIn was a very outward facing role. It was kind of like a, a combination between a, like a, a, a department chair at a university and a sales and recruiting job. Um, I would design a curriculum, figure out what people needed to learn in a given subject area, go out and find those subject matter experts and then bring them in to uh, make content and pass them off to our amazing production team. And so the part of the process that I really loved was the learning about the subject areas and the, yeah. and the meeting these amazing subject matter experts and hearing what it is that they loved about the things that they did. And the, you know, the personal interaction, like this component of it was amazing, but the back end corporate aspect of that was just soul crushing. Like the external meetings I had were all amazing because I was talking with uh, people outside the organization and trying to, mm -hmm. you know, figure out what it was that they brought special to their area of expertise and then capture that magic in a bottle. Like that's exciting stuff. And then you have to have like 52 internal meetings to talk about some other bullshit. And it's just, it's such a cliche of the business world, right? Like you think about every office-based sitcom has these moments where people are sitting in a meeting and they don't even know why they're in the meeting. And those happen all the time. Like those are based in reality. Like it's not even, <laughs> right. it's, it's a trope that, that is 100% real. Like you're sitting in a meeting and you just had, you just got off some other internal meeting and you like, I, like I have actual shit to do right now, except I'm required to be in this meeting, but no one is really doing anything. And this is a, a, a big time suck. Like, it's just like all that, that kind of stuff. It just weighs on your soul all the time. And it's just, mm. oh gosh. And you know, this is, you know, to my, to my friends who are still working there, if you happen to listen to this, you know, <laughs> this is not me bagging on how you guys are earning your livings because we all have to do shit that we don't like to do. Like that is just the nature yeah. of the society that we live in. For me though, it got to the point where it was taking so much more than it was giving back emotionally that I had to, to jump out of that. What's fascinating about what you said though, is when you described the work that you love doing, diving into a subject, making a curriculum and figuring out who is going to teach it. And because what I find fascinating about that is you didn't find the person first. You wrote a curriculum, which that, that speaks to diving into a subject, figuring out what is the most important things to learn. You know, I'm sure you had a framework or, or something to help you in that process, but like you, you might not have known what you didn't know. And so you've got to spend time really diving into that. That has to be a labor of love more than anything else. It's kind of a, it was one of the things that I didn't really understand about the job when I first took it on was how much fun that it was going to be. And I think that's one of yeah. the reasons I stayed there so long was that the parts of the job that I did love were really, really core to who I have become over the last, you know, decade or so. Mm -hmm. You know, I've always been a, a learner. I taught myself uh, motion design. I taught myself graphic design. You know, it, learning on the job. Like, I had a lot of amazing mentors in the places that I worked, but I didn't go to school for any of this stuff, even though I was teaching at, you know, what a lot of people consider one of the, the top schools in the world. I didn't, you know, man, talk about imposter syndrome. Yeah, I didn't go to, I didn't go to school for any of that stuff. And so, and yet here I was walking these hallowed halls and, you know, and, uh, you know, helping these people that were quite frankly, a, a lot of the kids that I, that I taught there were just, oh, it's just so wildly talented. It was just shocking, you know, and you kind of, you know, one of the things that's cool about being in that position, if you survive it long enough, cause you know, it, it would be very easy to fold under that weight of imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. For me though, the, the place I came to was that, uh, you know, John McEnroe, uh, had a coach that couldn't beat John McEnroe. Like, you know, that's the, you know, LeBron James has a coach that can't dunk on LeBron James. Like, you know, mm -hmm. they, there's people that are wildly talented that have people that help them become even more wildly talented. And so what I tried to do is take on that role 
and um, oh, and that yeah. became a big part of of how I taught my classes at Art Center, as well as my role at, at LinkedIn at Lynda.com and LinkedIn Learning. Was I I got to to help people learn how to teach something that they loved uh, doing, and that was such a it was such a fun place to to be mentally was you know, getting to, to be, I, I got to be the first learner. That's one of the things that we used to say back when we were lynda.com was the content manager was the first learner. Um, the I producer was the first learner. The video editor was the first printer, first learner, because they would, they would literally hear it as if they were that person who didn't know how to do it. And you, it, it becomes putting yourself in that beginner mindset is a really critical to developing good educational content. Yeah. Wow. I love that you mentioned beginner's mindset too, because the journey that you're on now, you went back to school yes, now yeah, to yeah, yeah. study animation on a more deeper level. And I mean, what's it like the beginner's mindset then where you don't know anything and, or maybe you have a, an, a, an awareness of something yeah. <laughs> But then yeah. now you're like, you, you know, you have history with something, but yeah. you're returning to that beginner's mindset and having to wrestle between what history has taught you and experience and letting some of that go. It's been really, really hard. It's been, it's been really challenging and really amazing. The challenging part has been, I, I have a, uh, a very, in, in my, and this is a, this is a family trait as well. Uh, I'm gonna apologize now to my to my mom and my cousins, and because it's it's from it comes from my mom's side of the family, uh, a very strong uh, streak of explaining how things should be done, <laughs> and so <laughs> and so uh, one of the hardest thing about this journey has been putting that aspect of my personality aside and saying I'm going to to do things the way that they're telling me that it should be done, so that I can get better. Mm-hmm. at this thing and not being that dude, you know, I, you know, uh, it's probably no surprise that I'm the oldest person on the zoom call, except for actually the instructor in this first term was, <laughs> was my age. And, um, I, I'm 58 by the way, for the, for the record, I'm going to, I'm not ashamed of my age anymore. You, you know, it's funny. We, mm-hmm. we are at the, at, once you reach a certain point, you're like, yeah, I'm 58. Who the fuck cares? <laughs> and, um, except, except my knees and my back care, <laughs> um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> my hairline cares. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, the, it, trying not to be that, that dude in the, in the room going, well, let me tell you how we used to do it back in my day. You know, when, <laughs> right. when, when back when pixels were invented, here's how we did things, you know, cause literally I have been using Photoshop since the first version, like, you know, the, I've been doing 3d since the early nineties. I wasn't doing it. Like I didn't do Tron. Like I wasn't that early in the 3d space, but I've been doing 3d for a long ass time. Mm-hmm. But the thing I have to keep reminding myself is I haven't been doing character animation. And that's mm-hmm. really what I'm trying to, to come back to learn is I, 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 my goal is to learn how to, to, um, create emotion and feeling and, bring things to life. That's very different than making things move, um, bringing something to life. And there's nothing wrong with bring, making things move, but bringing something to life is a really different mindset um, than yes. if you're doing a logo animation or doing some really cool environmental abstract um, animation in support of some branding campaign, blah, blah, blah. Like that stuff is all beautiful, but um, it's really different than trying to communicate and emote emotion and feeling and that sort of thing. And that's, that's my goal for, for my time in, in the character space is to learn how to really do that effectively. And so I don't yeah. know shit about that. So <laughs> I, it, like that is, it's kind of easy for me to, 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 to step back from my normal mansplaining self and, and just shut up and listen. Yeah. My mind flashed to the illusion of life, the seminal textbook by yes. Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnston and yes. the principles of infusing life into characters and what they learned hand drawing all this stuff. I mean, it's, it's pretty remarkable. You know, the, yeah. the, um, casual racism aside, like the things that yes. they were doing back then are, 
were just it's staggering actually the the level of of uh, creative invention that they were imparting on the world like you know those are things that had never people have always drawn but they have never always made those drawings move and come to life and so that was a it was such a new thing and they invented a language all uh, in into itself and it's just it's pretty amazing that and all that stuff holds up to this day mm-hmm yeah, and it's it's wild to see behind the scenes on doc, uh, behind the scenes documentaries on animated films now, where you you see like these sliders or these knobs yeah. that they're tweaking, and it's like, oh, that's principle number eight, just in slider form, you know. And it's 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 wild to be able to see that technology evolve from something as simple i'm putting in air quotes as you know the way they drew three subsequent frames to how they were able to you know bring that into through a plugin it really is kind of staggering and i and and very humbling as well i think that's the Mm -hmm. the place that i'm i'm at right now is that this and and what I decided to do when I started Animation Mentor, that's the name of the school that I'm, I'm the online school that I'm going to. The, when I started the journey there, I decided not to try and test out of anything. I'm, I said, mm-hmm. I'm going to start at the very beginning and try and re-examine my skills from the ground up and rebuild it. Because again, I never went to school for this. I've never studied any of this stuff. I've only ever done it. And mm-hmm. you know, someone, you have a, a financial gun to your head called the rent. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to, and, and, a, and a, another version of a financial gun called a deadline. And you mm-hmm. say, you know, Hey, you have to do this thing by this time or you don't get paid. And then you learn how to do it. And like, that's how, you know, I spent, you know, that's how I learned all of this stuff was, you know, saying yes, and then hunkering down and doing it so that I could get paid at the end of the gig. And mm-hmm. now I find myself with this amazing, the amazing privilege of being able to actually study it. And to really focus, I'd never had the chance to do that before. And so it's, it's really special. Like I said, I just, I feel so incredibly fortunate to be able to be in this position where I can actually slow down and, and look at things and actually contemplate what they mean and without having to, to react, you know, cause mm-hmm. that's, you know, I, you know, you know, this having worked for a long time, like you're in constant reaction mode when yes. you're uh, a creative professional. And you don't ever, it's rare that you get a chance to, to think about something deeply because you have a debt. There's always a deadline, right? You always have Mm -hmm. to get something done by a specific date. And so that limits your, your thinking and your approach and, and and it limits the depth that you can actually get into something, Mm -hmm. whether, no matter how much you love it, you know, (laughs) if you're going to be a successful creative, like you have to limit your depth. Otherwise you're, you're going to go off on a rabbit hole and never come back to what the client actually needs. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too, because what came up when you said that was, well, that's why we have side projects so that we can <laughs> infuse our side projects with the depth yes. that our other projects are lacking. And inevitably what happens with that mentality though, is you become someone else entirely in your side project and you almost get this cognitive dissonance between who client, who you are when clients are writing the check versus who you are when, when you're being wildly creative and it, it can be so far between those two, you know, points on the, the line that, um, it can be really challenging to reconcile that. And that's, that's assuming that you even have the energy to do a side project, right? You know, I have so many friends that are absolutely amazingly talented people that don't mm-hmm. do side projects because they have nothing left at the end of the day. Like they put everything they have into their client work and they don't have the, the strength to do anything on the side because they're just spent. And so they, mm-hmm. they go from client project to client project, not being able to actually express themselves there are some folks that I know that are, that are able to express who they are on a, you know, they're in a very fortunate position to be able to express who they are on a client job. But the vast majority of us are just doing what the client wants. If they tell you to make it blue and you're like, oh, fuck, it really shouldn't be blue. <laughs> right. Don't they but, know the yeah, psychology the check. of what yeah. blue is? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, they're writing the check. So, okay, click, it's blue. 
but you know, that's the, the, the challenge I think of being, you know, I, I, you know, one of my blog posts was about that being creative on purpose Mm -hmm. is a, um, it's a really different thing. Like human beings are creative in general, but when you say out loud, I'm going to be creative to pay my rent, like that becomes a whole nother ball game and it's a really different mental space to operate in. Yeah. And I, I also loved in that post where you made that distinction between being creative and being a creative, where yes. you, I think that's something that is important to wrestle with as well, because, you know, an accountant can be creative, but account, but an accountant is not going to be a creative. Right, right. Perhaps, maybe, you know, in- maybe they will. Well, yeah, <laughs> if they're trying to avoid getting arrested, they will. <laughs> um, they will be very creative. The human experience is one of creativity, of collective creativity, right? All of us are doing things um, together all the time. Even a person who sits in their basement tweaking things eventually brings it out to show somebody, right? Like, you know, if if you don't bring it out of the basement to show somebody, it kind of doesn't exist, right? It, who, you know, <laughs> right. if nobody ever knows about it, right? So at some point we all come out of the basement and we squint up at the sun and we rub our eyes and we go, hey, look what I did. And and we bring it to the world, whether it's ego-driven, we're doing it because we want people to love us, or we're trying to help people with that thing that they need help with. We're, we're still bringing it to the world and, and showing it to people. And that's that, it's that creative collective experience that I think is, is what makes things special and important and unique. And, you know, what good is something if you, if no one ever, yeah, I come back to that again, what good is something and nobody ever sees it? Mm-hmm. You could argue, I'm sure like, you know, from a philosophical standpoint, you, people could say like, well, you, it's good for you then if, even if nobody ever sees it. And then that's 100% true. You know, and and then you have then if you're okay with that, then that's a beautiful place to be. Like, how amazing would it be to have that much understanding of your own ego and your own place in the world to not need to ever show anything to anybody? Like, man, <laughs> t- that that would be freedom, right? Yeah, but <laughs> Holy you shit. know what? Yeah, but what's interesting though with that with that though is you know I for twenty years sat on a pile of poems that I thought I would never do anything with, even though I had all these ideas for doing things with them. And recently I started a sub stack where each week I share one of them. And sometimes I wildly rewrite them because it's, uh, I don't think the same way that I did 20 years ago. Yes. And very different person. And they could have easily just sat there and, and, you know, withered away into nothingness. Um, but, as I share them, sometimes people say something, sometimes people don't, but mm-hmm. I feel that that shift inside when I release it uh, yes. to a public space, because then it's then it's like, oh wow, you know, I'm I'm actually doing something with this. There's a potential mm-hmm. that it could be seen, as opposed yes. to there is no potential for it to be seen in the bottom <laughs> yes. of that box on that shelf where <laughs> yeah. no one but me comes in here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I have a good friend uh, that is uh, an amazing writer as well who is in that place where he hasn't been publishing his stuff. I'm like, dude, why don't you publish your stuff? You, there's, there's all any number of ways to do it, whether, you know, it's on Amazon in a, a formal uh, publishing model, or it's just on Substack in a less formal mm-hmm. publishing model there, you can put your stuff out into the world. And he just is not in a place of comfort with his writing where he's ready to do that. And it's a shame because it's, his stuff is really good. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, um, it's a, but, you know, in the end, I think we all have to be comfortable with what we're doing. And, that, you know, that's why I talked about that, the ego a little while ago, like how, you know, it's, it's um, a thing that drives us forward. It's, it's probably the reason we have indoor plumbing, but it's also, <laughs> you know, but it, think about how much damage it does in the world as well. You know, yeah. ego is, is the driving force behind war and it's yeah it just it brings so much harm to the world and yet it it also it's yeah it's a really double-edged sword 
as you say ego too, I'm I'm looking at the tagline of your website where creating cool things, building relationships and helping pe- people. Like there is a sense of ego in that, but then yes. <laughs> there's a point yeah. where the ego does melt away as as you as people come in as as you mentor them or as they <laughs> coach you. And and it's that willingness to let the ego calm down where yeah. that tagline can actually happen. I started first teaching people. I, I never, it was something I never really thought about doing. It just, I knew stuff and people would ask me how to do things. And I would like, oh, here, let me show you. And that would turn into, um, sometimes it would turn into like back in the early days in the, in the nineties when I was, when I was you know, still when everybody was just getting started with this stuff, right? Because it just, you know, we were all learning as we went. Mm-hmm. And there, you know, you couldn't study it in school yet. Or there was nothing. It just, it just was, it was the Wild West in terms of information. Um, and so, you know, the knowing something, knowing how to do something was both uh, a leg up, but it was also a way to, to like help people understand what it was we were all going through together because the tools were so new and the the techniques were so new and the medium was so new that, you know, we just didn't know how to, to do any of the, you know, nobody knew how to do anything and folks that did (laughs) know how to do something, but didn't help anybody were like kind of dicks, right? Like, you know, it's Mm -hmm. the, again, what's the, what's the point of knowing something if you can't help other people learn? And so for me, the, that manifested as, you know, whether I was, you know, being that, I was the guy, like when I was at Fox Kids, you know, my door was always open and people would come in and ask me questions about something. And I'd be like, you know, if I didn't know the answer, maybe I know somebody who did. If I did know the answer, I'd be like, yeah, here, let me show you. And I would help people that way when I was, you know, working at a, an ad agency in the early and mid nineties, you know, people would come to me to learn Photoshop because that was a new thing, right? It was new. It was, I'd been using it for a long time, but by that point, but a lot of folks were now just now discovering it and wanting to understand it. And so there was no internet to go and learn it on. And so I would go over to people's houses and sit with them. It would be like a piano lesson, right? (laughs) It was, yeah, I felt like a piano teacher. I would just, I would go over to their house and sit with them with a keyboard. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Slap their hand. (laughs) Yeah. Slap their hand. No uh, filters. No filters. Yes, exactly. It was really, yeah, it was really kind of a funny way when I, you know, I look back on it now and it was such a weird thing, but you know, know, music teachers have been operating that way for centuries, Mm -hmm. literally centuries. And now we have this internet and people don't really do that anymore. They, you know, they get everything off of YouTube, which is amazing that you can find anything on YouTube, but it lacks that interpersonal component, Mm -hmm. you know, that you would get from that, that side-by-side learning, you know, and that one of the things I found as I was doing this stuff was that I would end up learning uh, from my students I, probably more than they were learning from me because they would ask me a question about how to do something. And if I didn't know it, I'd be like, okay, let's figure this out together. And, and, and we'd mm-hmm. sit down and, and learn how to do this thing that they, they were trying to figure out how to do. And I would learn how to do it as well alongside of them. And, and that was a, a pretty cool way to grow my own skills at, at the time too. Nothing can demolish your ego more than teaching if you let it too. Oh cause, my gosh, yeah. <laughs> and I used to teach at a community college and I think it took me about a year or two to finally be comfortable with not having to have the entire day planned out. Imagine yeah. <laughs> all of the scenarios, all of the questions and be comfortable saying, I don't know, but let's figure it out. I mean, <laughs> yes, <laughs> <laughs> there's so much fear in like, what are they going to think if I don't know the answer? Right. Yeah. That, that's where that imposter uh, psychology come kicks in, right? It just explodes mm-hmm. inside you and you are like, oh my God, they're going to think I'm an idiot. And you know, the thing that you come to realize <laughs> is that um, I am an well, idiot. The, yeah, exactly. That's, you know, <laughs> yes, I am an idiot. However, we're all idiots together. And, you know, just because I don't know something, that doesn't mean that I'm not going to be able to help them learn how to do other things and, or even that thing. Like I, I can sit down, you know, the, the thing that I do have that they don't 
is the experience of figuring that stuff out on the fly and learning how to do it. And so even when I don't know how to do something, I can usually help them figure out an approach to do that thing that they're trying to, to achieve. And so there's value in that for both of us, right? Mm-hmm. I'd say I get to learn alongside them. I just flashbacked to when I was in probably high school, I used to take trumpet lessons (laughs) and I would go to this guy's house and I had the worst attitude because to me, (laughs) I, my philosophy at the time, horrible misled philosophy, of course, of the youth. I don't want to learn scales. I want to learn how to play solos. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I didn't, I didn't get that solos are built of scales. It just, you know, but but to me, (laughs) it's it's like, (laughs) let's play a solo, then break it apart and discover the scale. Um, But I, but I remember this moment where he pulls out a record and it was Wynton Marsalis and he puts it on the player and he's like, listen to this. So I'm listening to this. And he's like, this is a thing called circular breathing Mm. where he's playing all these scales, all these solos, and he's breathing as he's playing. Right. And just like my mind was blown. Yeah. (laughs) And like it shut me up basically is what it did. And, but I think about those moments and it's just like, there's that power of sitting in a room with someone even right now, mm-hmm. like I consider we're, mm-hmm. it feels like we're sitting in the same room yes, uh, to some degree. And, and yes, it just, does. it's the sharing of those things that blow our minds that mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. can help you to like kind of calm your ego down a little bit or shut your ego up or put you in your place, however you want to word it. But I yeah. just, I, I just love that moment because it was just like, this is what you could be. Like he saw something, mm-hmm. even though I never believed it or saw it <laughs> in myself. Well, and I think that's the, you know, coming back to the whole collective human experience thing, mm-hmm. that's the awesome power of n- not operating in a vacuum, right? Mm-hmm. Is that moment where you bring the thing out into the world, out of your basement and show it to people whether it's uh, a technique that you learned for the trumpet or uh, a new animation that you created or whatever that thing is. Um, the moment, that moment that you bring it out and, and show it to people figuratively or literally is that collective experience. That's when you become a part of something larger. And it's so easy for us, especially like the mythology of the United States is that there is no collective. It's only individuals. And it's, mm-hmm. it's the thing that I think has done the most harm to us as a people uh, of anything that we have. It, it's, it is, it's caused so much of the problems that we have today is the idea that we are a nation of individuals. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's, um, it's really sad because it's such a lonely position to be in. And, um, you know, it's, it's really not a, I don't know. It's I, I, anytime I I go down this road at some point I I run out of words and you just start shaking my head because I just can't, I can't process it anymore because it's just such a, it's such a shame. So with that, you go from a job where you're surrounded by all these creative people and now, (laughs) now you're going to school online animation mentor. Yeah. And in a sense, you're building a new chapter of your life from the ground up and you're kind of isolated. You're an individual at this point in terms of what you're doing. You have the people at school, of course, but you're, you're almost rebuilding your community. Yeah, Um, I really am. What does that look like? It's a little bit scary. It's also super fun. So the, the scary part of it is that for, a long time, I, you know, coming back to the stories that we tell ourselves, one of the stories that I was wrapped up in was I've taught thousands and thousands of people how to use Cinema 4D and After Effects in combination over the years. Like it's, um, it was a, you know, coming back to, you know, I just happened to be 
there when all of that stuff was starting up. And I happened to also be, you know, not too bad at it. And I also happened to be, you know, pretty good at explaining that shit. And so I found myself in a position where I could, could help people learn how to do it. And, you know, from an ego standpoint, that's pretty cool. Right. You know, and, you know, people, (laughs) uh, you know, you get to help people and, you know, people like, you know, they don't recognize you on the street. Like I can still go to the grocery (laughs) store, (laughs) but you know, there was, there was a time where when I would go to a conference, everyone was like, Hey Rob, what's up? Hey, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and that, you know, that's a, a a pretty amazing thing. And now I find myself in, you know, and then when I went into the corporate world, it was kind of like I shed that stuff and I rebuilt this reputation inside this corporate space. And then now I've shed that stuff and now I'm rebuilding my, my self, in this character space, which is a completely different world from the motion design space. It's so, it's, it's kind of crazy because you'd think it's, it, they are in some respects, very tangential, right? We use a lot of the mm-hmm. same software. We're doing things on computer, you know, at, at certain frames per second at a certain resolution, blah, blah, blah. But the mentalities behind the two worlds are extremely different mm-hmm. in the motion design world. Um, motion designers are expected to be able to do any part of the production process. Um, yes. You need to know how to do everything from uh, from a, a print ad uh, and uh, all the way to a full 3D animation uh, and editing and post and audio on the side as well. Like you have to know how to do all that stuff, and that's how you make your way in the world as this generalist. And it's a, a it's a nation of of uh, generalists. And every now and then you come across people that are like really specialized, like they, they might be really good at, at um, doing uh, lighting materials, for example, and they find themselves working on larger team projects, you know, for some place like whether it's the, you know, already matured or some other amazing company like that. But for the most part, it's a, it's a nation of generalists in the, the animation, the narrative animation world. It is a nation of, of, into a specialist, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of wild because the people that teach an animation mentor, a lot of them don't know how to render in Maya. And it's not because they're bad animators <laughs> or they're bad people. It's because they, they work in a, a, a very strict pipeline of tools and they work on one specific component of that pipeline and they, they bring the character to life. Someone else puts the shaders on it. Someone else does the fabric sim. Someone else does the um, lighting. Someone else composites. It's like on and on and on. It's this nation of, of individual specialists. And it's really wild for me to jump into that place. And it was, it was kind of scary at first because First of all, I'm a C4D guy, and now I have to learn Maya. And I was like, ugh, I fucking hate Maya. I don't want to learn Maya. Uh, uh, fuck you, Autodesk. Uh. And I was had all this, you know, I had all this angst around it. One of yeah. the things I, I realized as I started to get into it, you know, when, at some point I have to like, you know, pull up my panties and 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 jump in and start doing it. And so I sat down and I watched my first Maya tutorial. And I was like, oh, okay, it's still 3D space and I can still do this. You know, like, you know the, the thing you start to realize, of course, is that all 3D apps, whether it's Maya, Houdini, or Cinema 4D, or Blender, they all operate in the same, the same sorts of principles, right? Mm-hmm. Their interfaces are different and their methodologies are different, but the basic principles behind them are the same. So if you know that a thing is possible in general as a concept, then you could probably figure out how to do it inside that app. So the harder thing is knowing that a thing is possible. Mm. And that's the, you know, once you break past that conceptual barrier that you know that a thing is possible, then you can get, you can figure out the steps to get it done. And so when I first sat down to learn Maya, like that was the, you know, I, I had the advantage of a lot of the people in the classes that I'm, the class that I'm in right now, this first level class, like they're trying to learn computers in general. Like they've, they've, they've probably always had a computer and they did email and stuff on it, but they've never actually created with a computer. And so they're trying to learn the process of creating with a computer and the process of learning how to bring things to life at the same time. And like, I can't even imagine that because I are like, I, I don't have to think about the technical back end because like I've got decades of muscle memory along to handle all that stuff. I can just focus on the actual bringing the life part. And it's kind of amazing. And that was one of the things like, so that was really long winded way of saying that the space that I'm in now is one of like the, when I talk about, you know, we talked about beginner's mindset. 
the reason I've been able to get into a beginner's mindset is that I haven't had to, like, I've, I've got a little bit of beginner mindset with Maya, but I've got, I have, I know nothing about the process of bringing things to life from a character standpoint. So I can actually just dive in and focus on that one thing. And I don't get hung up on all the other technical aspects of it because I've <laughs> right. got all that muscle memory. So I've like, I'm really fortunate that I can just sit down and just look at something and go, oh, you know, and it's kind of cool because um, once you see someone do something, it starts to unlock your understanding of it, right? So up on my monitor up above me here, um, I have the Animation Mentor Campus interface up here. And one of the cool things is that you get to see every assignment from every class, not just the class you're in, but every mm. class in the, in the entire curriculum. When you post your assignment up, everybody gets to see your assignment. And so oh, the cool wow. thing is that you can see, I can look ahead at the, the class, like four classes down. And these people are so much further down the journey than me. And their work is beautiful and so in, impressive and cool. And like, I'm not there yet. <laughs> I got, no, I was like, and I want to jump ahead to that part. And I'm like, I'm, but I just, I don't know how to do that yet. But w- every time I look at one of their assignments, a little bit more unlocks for me and a little bit, mm-hmm. I start to have a, a, a greater understanding of the overall process and I get to see how things are done and it like in, and I'm my, and my work gets incrementally better. And I think that's the, the thing that's really exciting for me now is I can actually see the improvements in my understanding of those principles of animation. And I thought I understood them, right. You know, but I, yeah. I understood them from a, from a motion design standpoint. And that's not the same thing as as uh, as an emotional standpoint and a in a character standpoint, a narrative standpoint. And now I'm starting to really understand them from that aspect. And I've got so much further to go. Like that's the kind of the amazing thing. As I feel like every time I unlock something, I, I you know it makes me realize how much further I have to go. But right. it's in instead of being depressed about that, I'm like excited about that because like it's like oh shit, I get to learn how to do <laughs> this now, and then now next I get to yeah. learn how to do this and. And it makes me it makes me go back and rewatch animated films that I've always loved in in a new light because now I can see the the keyframes and the poses that they're using to communicate the emotions that they're that they're trying to get out of that particular character in that particular script. It's just oh, it's just so exciting. Sorry, I'm nerding out now. I'm gonna I'm gonna no, stop. No, it's great. I I had several moments where I I wanted to nerd out with you, but you know I just let you go. Because... <laughs> but but I wouldn't shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, you said something that blew my mind. You said, when you can see that something is possible, then it unlocks the journey essentially before you. And like, yeah. the, I, but I think there's a part of our ego that has to stop viewing the person who's showing what's possible to not see them as competition. So that, so that you can uh, enable yourself to see, wow, that's, uh, that's possible. That's cool. I want to be able to do that, not as a form of competition, but as a form of connecting to that emotional spirit of a character or that ability to tell a story through emotion. Yeah. When that's kind of the, um, the exciting thing I think about what I'm going through at Animation Mentor is I'm not like when I look ahead at those the the folks that are you know further down the the uh, curriculum than I am, like in a very real sense, yes, they are 100% competition for me. But I tend not to look at them as competition because they are teaching me with their work. Like every mm-hmm. time I look at their stuff, I am learning something new. I'm coming up behind them, you know, chomping at the bit, right? But they are also like, for the near term, they're going to always be out in front of me because, you know, like they're just further ahead on the journey. At some point, though, I am going to catch up. And in a, in a very real sense, we maybe we will be competing for, for work at some point. But that doesn't mean that they still won't have things to teach me and vice versa. Hopefully by that point, vice versa, I'll be able to teach uh, other folks about this stuff, but the, you know, I don't, I tend not to look at them as competition because I'm able to learn so much from the work that they do because like, it's one of the things that's kind of amazing about this. Uh, and, and, and actually it's the same in the motion design world. When you see beautiful work, finely made things, uh, and you 
have an appreciation for the craft that went into doing that finely made thing. And you can pick it apart and look and say, okay, and go through it a frame at a time and study how it was done. Like you, it really gives you an appreciation. Um, you know, it's funny, like you think back to like heist movies, right? There's always that the uh, moment where they're in the, they're in the museum and they're, you know, they're, they're actually standing in front of the painting that they're going to steal. Right. And they're admiring the brushstrokes and the subtle hues, blah, blah, blah. And you get to a place uh, in appreciation for a subject area where you could actually, you are that person looking at the painting and appreciating mm. the, the, the brushstrokes. And you can, um, you learn so much from, from, from that place. I think the question becomes for yourself, and this is my question I'm, that I ask myself is, okay, what are you going to do with that knowledge? At some yeah. point, for me, knowledge, abstract knowledge, knowledge for its own sake is fine, but I'm very much an applied person. I like to get shit done. I like to do things. Mm -hmm. And so the thing I want when I'm looking at the, the painting, I'm asking myself, okay, how are you, what are you going to do with that understanding of those brushstrokes? So is your desire to immerse yourself and get a job in part of that specialist pipeline that, that you talk about with character animation, or is it to bring character animation to the world of motion design and smash them together and create something new? Or is it to do something entirely different that maybe you don't even know what it is yet? <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it's someone else asked me that question the other day and right now, um, I, you know, so when I first left my, my gig at, at LinkedIn, I had this whole grand plan in my head. I had this multi-stage plan for how I was going to get back to being Rob Garrett, that C4D guy. And one of the things that I came to understand over the year that it's like, it, cause I was out a year before I say I was uh, out of LinkedIn for a year before I, I decided to go to animation mentor. The reason that I decided to go to animation mentor was because I'd already done those things and I, and I, I, I had already been that guy and I wanted to be somebody new and I didn't want to go. I thought for a long time that I, what I needed to do was go back to the, a previous version of myself. I have a, a good, a good friend we have monthly zoom calls with, and that was a big discussion point for us was how was I going to, was Rob 2.0? Like what was that in, for a long time, I thought Rob 2.0 was really just a previous version of Rob that I, you know, dusted off the cobwebs for. <laughs> and the thing I came to realize in the, in the year that I was out was that I, I'd already been that person and I, I don't have, you know, not to get all grimdark, but you know, I'm 58 years old. I don't have a shit ton of time left. If I'm going to do different things, now is the time to do those things. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, um, I want to, my, my goal for all of this is to become something different than I was before not the same thing. And so in answer to your question, the, the answer is, I don't know, like I'm going to go where the journey takes me. The journey, if the journey takes me to working on a feature film, that's cool. If the journey takes me back to the motion design world, that's cool too. I, I'm down for whatever, as long as I'm learning and growing and, and, and bringing things to life. That's my, my, my one goal. Like my, um, I almost said the corporate douchebag thing, my one North star, um, <laughs> I'm already slicing the air too much. Like I'm folks at home. Luckily, luckily you can't see me, but I've, I've been slicing the air a lot. You're but I almost sliced the, the waveforms. You're yeah, slicing the waveforms for me. I almost sliced the air and said North Star at the same time. Like man, I've crossed the threshold, <laughs> um, the douche, the douchebag threshold. But um, so <laughs> as long as I'm, as long as my, uh, I'm learning how to bring things to life. As long as I'm bringing things to life, it doesn't really matter so much to me whether it's in narrative or whether it's in motion design or, or not. Mm -hmm. I will say this though, I am a little bit burnt on marketing as a concept. One of the articles I've been holding back on writing because I can't quite get my head around it is the awesome power of marketing. And it's mm -hmm. basically a diatribe against the mal effects of marketing on us as a society. You think about um, everything from body shaming to gun culture are the results of, of marketing of people trying to sell people stuff. Right. And, and, um, I'd much rather make kids laugh than trying to sell them shit. And so, you know, <laughs> but the fucked up thing about the world that we live in is that, you know, that's, 
so much of our income is tied to selling people stuff that, you know, I'm probably will find my way back there. So, you know, I can only be, you know, as, uh, I don't have enough money to be totally pure of heart. So (laughs) I have to, at some point I'm going to have to pay the rent. And so, um, (laughs) that was a really, again, I'm very long winded way of saying, I'm, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with this newfound skill, if I'm going to come back or not, but as long as I'm creating things and bringing them to life, then I'm good. That's, that's what going to be my guiding principle. I love that. Well, you've, you've shared so many amazing nuggets of wisdom throughout this conversation. Is there anything you would like to leave with the audience about how they can see what's possible in front of them? The thing I would say is talk to people Mm. as much as you can. And and I, I, the thing I'll I'll go a step further is um, it's good to have friends to talk to, but a friend is not a therapist. And if you Mm -hmm. don't have a therapist, find one. We all have some sort of thing that we're dealing with. And I I didn't understand all this shit that I was dealing with until I had that dark time in 2020. And I started to talk to someone about it. Um, I'm very fortunate that my dark things are not as dark as some other people's dark things, but I still, they were still my dark things. They're still holding me back and blocking my thinking. Talk to somebody about the things that you're experiencing and and don't just try and rely. Yeah, I, I had a conversation with a friend the other day. It's like, no, you need to talk to a dispassionate third party who can see through your bullshit and, yes. and call you on that stuff and that yes. you will be accountable to because you're, you'll be accountable to a therapist in a way that you're not accountable to your friends. And that is a, it's a really important thing. Yeah. Sorry. That's the the soapbox I've been on because it has been so impactful for me. Mm-hmm. And I know so many people that, that need that help, but won't go out and seek it because there is that stigma. Never apologize for being on that soapbox. Yeah. Thank you. Cause it's, 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 um, I came to it very late in life. Um, you know, for, uh, I know it's funny. Um, I'm mentoring some some uh, a group of young professionals right now. I keep calling, I try not to call them kids because that's a very patronizing thing to do, but I am <laughs> old enough to be their dad. So it's hard for me to, to not say that. <laughs> but the, the thing that was really cool is all of them are in therapy. And I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. Like they are, you know, 20 years ago, I'd have been like, what the fuck's wrong with them? Like, why are they all in therapy? And now, <laughs> now I'm like, it's so cool that they are all in this place where they have someone that they're talking to about their problems. And it's such a, it's such a good thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, that's my, uh, now, now I'll uh, shut the fuck up. <laughs> that's my, that's where I'm leave, leave the audience with. Talk to people. <laughs> I love it. Well, you mentioned that you were going back and watching old animated films, but uh, is there one lately that's been blowing your mind? Yeah, there's a bunch. You know, it's kind of amazing. That, so the there's a lot of downsides to the streaming age in terms of what it's doing to the industry. But the one thing that that has been amazing is how mu- the volume of work that is getting out into the world is just staggering. And um, you could go on and on diving down the Netflix rabbit hole, right? Um, but Or, you know, any of the other streaming, whether it's Hulu or Max or on and on. The thing that I'm, I've been doing lately is going back and watching, you know, I've been diving, because I'm studying 3D character animation, I've been really going deep on 3D stuff. And my favorite style of animation is the stuff uh, like Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, for example, mm-hmm. or the stuff from DreamWorks Hotel Transylvania. I really love silly and I really love big, bold, cartoony character movements. And I just, I'm that stuff. Now, don't get me wrong. Like I'm, I'm watching, um, uh, blue eyed samurai on Netflix as well, which is just staggering in its beauty and intensity. Um, but I really love laughing and I love, you know, mm-hmm. making things that make people laugh as well. So that's going to be like, yes, uh, going back and watching that kind of stuff is just amazing. Well, Rob, thank you so much for being a guest on getting work to work. It's been an absolute pleasure to spend time with you, to hear about your journey and uh, holding up a big sign showing what's possible as, as we go through this life. Cause we look at, unfortunately at, I, I hate to say it, but in the older generation is people who don't 
learn that don't uh, <laughs> want to keep growing. And and I love that at 58, you're saying, fuck that. This is possible. Yeah. And yeah. I, it, it gives me hope for myself and I hope for, you know, other people that, that they'll hold on to this idea that doesn't matter how old you are, you can keep learning and, and um, giving those youngsters a run for their money. Yeah, I, I'm laughing because, uh, uh, you know, not too long ago, I would have taken offense at that. And now I'm like, hell yeah, I will be getting the nose youngsters around for their money. So um, <laughs> I, I'm grateful the time. I love your podcast. Um, you know, it wasn't that long. We only met like a month or two ago and mm-hmm. I just discovered your show and I really love it. I'm grateful for the time uh, that you take to to talk to people about the things that they are doing and loving and creating. And uh, I'm grateful to be part of this experience with you. I know I say this after almost every conversation I have on this show, but I absolutely needed this conversation with Rob, and I hope you did too. I was struck by several of the questions he posed throughout our conversation, but I keep coming back to these three. What is the thing that brings me joy? Is the thing that I'm doing every day a part of the joyful component? And that third one, can I live with that? Oh, that one makes me go, oof every single time. I hope you'll spend some time not only reflecting on these questions for yourself, but really sit with that third one. Because I guess you could even add after that, if you can't live with that, then what will you do? Unbelievably thoughtful questions. Thank you so much, Rob. Until next time, may creativity and curiosity fuel your life.